The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. As I mentioned, we'll have small groups later, and uh, I'll just mention what um, I'd recommend the discussion be about in those small groups, of course. Any reflections arising out of your study or your practice would be appropriate. But they're really meant to be these groups of three people for those who are going to stay. And for those who don't stay for the breakout groups in Zoom, you can just find your own Dharma friend in a day or so to sit down and just talk about what you're learning about compassion. And so you might just share examples, you know, just from your own observation of a more natural, spontaneous moment of that tender-heartedness, uncontrived compassion, not forced, not pretend, not some imitation, but just mindfulness is recognizing, oh, this heart cares. So it's not like you tried to care, you're just noticing and a moment that there is caring, that this heart cares. It's moved. It's in the proximity of my own suffering or in the proximity of somebody else's suffering, and it feels moved. Its response is this generosity we call compassion. So compassion actually, compassion actually is an expansive well-wishing. And sometimes that well-wishing, when it's appropriate, is real action to try to take care of somebody or to try to respond to the suffering that's there. Another thing that in the small groups or later just with your Dharma friends, your wise friends that you could share is just how we, because we're doing this course and we're interested in the subject of compassion, then we want to notice, in a way we want to map out, how does my mind, how does my heart tend to respond when it's around suffering? You know, and the ways that sometimes we ignore or distract ourselves, other times we want to blame or just have some idea that's not my responsibility, I don't need to even look over there. And uh, another common response that we might map out is we just observe how my mind, how my heart is when it's around suffering, is a kind of pity, feeling burden, almost feeling like somebody's uh, suffering might contaminate me. So we, we notice that sense, whether it's actual sense of separation or just a psychological emotion, emotional sense of separation, uh, not wanting to be contaminated by somebody else's suffering. And then there's the common response to want to fix somebody's suffering, to want to make it go away. It can masquerade as compassion, but actually it's irritating me, your suffering, and that's why I'm showing up and that's why I'm trying to fix it. So it's not really compassion as much as it might be irritation. And then there's what we really mean by compassion, which is, and this is really the main theme in tonight's talk, and it could come up in your small groups, 
just noticing how compassion is an enlivened and beautiful quality of the heart. We're not deadened by compassion. We're not even beaten up by compassion. We can be thrown about and exhausted when we're around suffering, when there's fear or when there's controlling or when we're working hard at denial or distraction. But when the heart, when there's enough wisdom and enough of that activation of real compassion, then that is seen, experienced subjectively as something enlivening. Even while being proximate, close with our own or somebody else's suffering. And that's for us to unpack for during this course, to really look at just ordinary moments when we're around suffering and the heart is burdened and being exhausted by it. And when we're around suffering and there's a different, wholesome, beautiful experience. So that's just uh, as the um, beginning for these small groups that we'll have at the end. Um, keep those thoughts that come up around those two points. How have you noticed your heart responding when it's near suffering, your own or somebody else's? All the different ways. What are the common ways that your mind, your heart responds to suffering? And then... The other point being moments of spontaneous compassion. can be really simple. could be just seeing an ant in the house that got caught in a drop of water and is struggling and the heart feels moved. Oh, tenderness, there it is. Uncontrived, I didn't, I'm not thinking I should be tender-hearted toward the ant, it's just there. There's um, something that, you know, we have to learn through our own investigation, the difference between the sort of empathetic where we, because, you know, the way our being a social creature, we can really empathize with another. And so, you know, the way I'm using empathy now, it's almost like sympathetically vibrating with the other where we sense that they're suffering and how we're vulnerable to that suffering. And there's a way of aligning with their suffering. So then we, this heart right here, feels in a sense traumatized or burdened, overwhelmed by the other person's suffering. That empathetic experience, right? Like when we're watching a horror film and something bad is happening to one of the characters in the film, we can have an empathetic experience where we feel frightened, we feel um, whatever, hurt by what we see in the film because of that empathetic uh, aspect of the mind, you know, where the mind aligns with characters. So that can sound or even at times look like compassion, but it's not really what we mean by compassion. 
compassion is really this wish for safety, this wish for protection, this wish for well-being. So we notice our suffering or we notice the suffering of another and we're not empathetic in the sense of now I'm suffering because you're suffering. Because how does that contribute to anybody's well-being? When we're feeling deeply burdened because somebody else is really suffering, then now the world has two people that are really hurting. So we're not really helping the other person when we're in that empathetic state and really having to deal with our own disturbance because of that other person's suffering. We don't help. Just like if we're relating to our own pain in that way. It just gets amplified. And we're not really able to help ourselves or help anybody. We're not living in a way that's alleviating suffering. So compassion actually is best understood as recognizing that wish to alleviate suffering. Because I see suffering, because I sense it here and there, of course, out of that clear recognition is this powerful, wholesome, dynamic um, intention to take care of, to wish well for, to respond in a positive, helpful way, because I care. When we feel burdened by suffering, we begin to feel paralyzed, or we respond in an impatient, aggressive way because we don't know how to, we lose our stability. We're in a reactive response instead of a, a generous, full, balanced, grounded response, right? Because that wholesomeness, that wholesome and generous response really depends on <clears throat> having touched into, like in the moment, the heart, the mind, the body, to some wholesome st stability, some wholesome pleasure of a stable, wholesome mind. And that stability might arise initially from, as it said in the tra tradition, non-remorse, like living uh, with a lot of moral integrity in terms of how we speak, how we act in the world, and we feel appropriately really good. What we might say in Western language, like we have self-esteem because we've made as best we can good choices, we've really uh, have internalized a sense of fairness and justice, interested in uh, sharing and kind of the benefit of the of the greater, you know, the greater good. And that, that exists in my heart as a good feeling and a kind of stability that comes from having a lot of moral integrity in terms of how we're living. And so then when I run into suffering, my own or another, I already have some good feeling. Just like if we've been a really generous person with our time, with our resources, there's any number of ways to connect and develop 
that stability that arises from wholesomeness. And, you know, we've all learned, if we reflect on our own experience, when, when I'm really hurting, when life is, you know, those times in life that have been overwhelming and really difficult, it's harder for us to be compassionate when we feel inundated by painful experience. But it's relatively easy when we're feeling good, especially with wholesome pleasure. Like I said, like the pleasure of living with a lot of moral integrity or the pleasure that can, can arise be, having been a generous person and feeling like we belong and that we can contribute and the natural way that others then appreciate our generous spirit. It doesn't mean, doesn't require being wealthy, it just requires having that generous spirit. So, sila, the, the Pali word for moral integrity, that deep, resounding commitment to not harming, and dana, you know that word D-A-N-A, -A, this sort of understanding the beauty and goodness and stability that comes not from stinginess, but from the opposite of stinginess just that generous generosity of our spirit to show up and to care and to respond and and to um yeah wanna contribute be content with with what we have and and sharing with others what we have it feels good we feel stable and that good feeling then is actually a necessary starting point for experimenting with compassion because I feel some immunity when I'm around suffering, when I have some sense of well-being. Just like, even in the simplest sense, just having, being relatively free from physical discomfort. You know, if I have a lot of irritating things going on in my body, and then I'm around somebody who's really suffering, you know, if I've been sort of provoked all day long by knee pain and a headache and I'm getting a flu and and then some suffering shows up around me, it's really hard to respond with compassion, to find that capacity. It's possible, but it's more challenging. So as a student of compassion, it's really good to notice when we're feeling good, grounded in wholesomeness, and then from that place of feeling that stability to sensitize the heart and mind to the very ordinary truth of suffering. The difficulty that's here in this life, the difficulties that others are experiencing. And then just to notice how the heart responds, shows up, when we bring that suffering to mind. We shouldn't ever have to stretch. Suffering is always around us. If you're not noticing any suffering, it's just, just work on your imagination a little bit or your sensitivity because it's always here. And even like if somebody ex is experiencing or those people around you or you yourself have really favorable conditions, you can just contemplate that those favorable conditions are ephemeral. It won't always be this way. Oh, 
to whatever degree my heart is dependent on my nice living situation, I know I can't count on it forever. I know it's ephemeral. The house could burn down, right? Or I could have, you know, all kinds of unseen problems developing in the house that, oh, I need a new roof or, you know, this has to be taken care of or that. How am I going to pay for that? So don't worry about, you know, oh, I got to get, I got to look at the news in, in order to connect with suffering or I've got to, you know, go looking for somebody who's got some difficulties. Just practice being more and more sensitive and just the creative imagination of what's already right here. But remember to start, remember we need that sense of uh, stability. And uh, somebody <clears throat> asked the question, sent it in, really had uh, several really wonderful questions sent in and I'll try to address some of them. But one question was um, on this point about, you know, whether when we are overwhelmed, when we don't have that inner stability, that it, it felt like not appropriate when I'm around some suffering, it felt inappropriate to turn away from it. But it doesn't do anybody any good to look at suffering, to open to suffering, to be sensitive to suffering, when I'm already, when this heart is already in a reactive stance. And a really good example of that, that I just was impressed with Thich Nhat Hanh's skill, community skill and wisdom. So some of you know Thich Nhat Hanh, a very elder Buddhist monk now living in Vietnam, but for many decades taught here in the West, in Europe, in the United States, and uh, just has been very inspiring for many of us. And I've had some opportunities to practice with Thich Nhat Hanh. And, uh, <clears throat> but the story that I heard, um, I think he wrote about it, was after 9-11, and you know, he's a peace activist besides being a poet and a Buddhist monk and a teacher, Dharma teacher. He's really an activist and has been for a long, you know, his whole adult life. And so after 9-11, uh, he and his followers, students, and other leaders in, in his monasteries, of course, wanted to respond because they knew exactly the kind of fear and hate that would arise from such a tragic event. And they wanted to help the United States and the United States leaders be wise. But instead of immediately getting to work at responding um, the day after, they got a bunch of vans together. They took everybody in the monastery that could. Uh, the, he was at the monastery near San Diego and they drove to the beach and they played tag and played different games on the beach. And the idea was, you know, that event was so shocking to so many of us and probably evoked, I was on retreat and out of the country, so I didn't really experience what a lot of you did. But, you know, my understanding that people were a little shell-shocked and uh, not easy to respond with compassion to everybody being in shell shock because everyone themselves were in shell shock, were confused, were disoriented. So to 
turn one's attention to something ordinary like hanging out with a bunch of friends on the beach and playing some fun games. It isn't somehow an insult to the very, you know, how much suffering was going around that day after 9-11. It was a very skillful choice from somebody who understood the nature of our mind. That when this mind isn't being taken care of, it's really not easy to take care of others. There's a <clears throat> quote from um, the Buddhist teachings. One should not give up one's own wel welfare, even for the sake of much welfare to others. And this is such a, a potent teaching that we shouldn't imagine that, you know, in terms of cultivating compassion, learning to be a more compassionate person, that we're going to always be hitting this fork in the road. Oh, I, I could take care of myself, or I could take care of another. But I can't do both. And one thing to really challenge that, so to ask, how can... Like, if I'm going to show up and respond to the suffering that I see around me, how can that showing up be for my own good and the good of others? Or if I'm going to turn away from somebody's suffering, I see it, I sense it, I don't have the capacity to respond, to show up skillfully, so I'm going to take care of my business so I can be ready to show up as soon as possible whether that's going to the beach and hanging out with some friends or whatever we might need to do. But can we imagine like if what we're doing in a given moment, and this might be poignant for those of you who have been at home with children for a long time these past couple months, or frontline medical people stressed out with the difficulties or wherever you your job might take you where you there is some exposure, right? So then the question is, if I'm losing my capacity to actually be here in a way that's generous and real and grounded and healing for me and possibly helpful for others, then what can I pay attention to? How might I be able to redirect my attention to some other aspect in the present moment so that this heart and mind could be refreshed and healed and eventually get to the place where I can attune, show up to the suffering and respond in a generous way. And that's really the art of living. And it's not, uh, it's not a negative act to turn away from suffering. You'll catch, and this is like a good thing to catch, and you could even bring this up in the small groups tonight, catching those moments where we keep turning to the suffering of another in a way that's doing harm to ourselves, possibly even harm. On the surface, it may look like we're taking care of them. But we don't really know whether if we're causing ourselves harm, if we can't really respond in a generous way, in an expansive, generous way, 
that it might not actually be serving that person. I mean, it's hard to know, of course, theoretically. But what we can see directly, if we pay attention, is I need to take care of myself. This, I'm not capable of continuing this. What can I do to take care of myself? So turning away from suffering can be an act of self-compassion and an act, a way of sort of sustaining my ability to keep showing up to my world and what surrounds me and what's calling for my response. In the same way, I mean, it's so natural in the same way that a parent or one of the frontline medical folks, they need to go home and take get a good night's sleep. And they need to laugh every once in a while, right? And, and any number of other things so that they can show up the next day and put in their long shift, whether they're a bus driver or a nurse or whatever the, the challenging circumstance that requires a lot of compassion, a lot of willingness to serve and to show up for others. And so that uh, there's that uh, necessity for an ongoing assessment about how can I show up. And when we ask that question, how can I show up right now in a compassionate way, it in will always include How's this heart doing right now? And this heart, you know, the health and balance of this heart is always going to be proximate. So it's never something that we just throw out or forget. I want to just say um, something about some homework that um, that I'll talk about next week so that you can begin to explore it. And in particular, this will arise in your meditation times. So the idea of compassion practice or any of the Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes, you know, whether you begin with a particular phrase or bringing a particular person or pet to mind, and you feel that quality of love or compassion, that particular flavor of love we call compassion, and you're kind of keeping that in mind, at some point when you're doing your compassion practice and you can directly, immediately feel that expansive quality of love, and in this case that particular flavor of compassion, then you want to switch to that more subtle awareness of that glow or that radiance of compassion, that expansive quality that naturally and effortlessly goes out in all directions. As we chant every morning at the center, at the beginning of our morning sit, I will abide, this is a slightly different translation, I will abide with this heart imbued with compassion and radiating it out in front, to the right, behind, 
to the left, above, below, all around, everywhere and every way. Right, so that image of a light, a sun, or as Venerable Analio talks about it as the the sun at sunset, that warm, beautiful, soft glow of a setting sun, shining naturally, effortlessly in all direction. And in a in a sense touching everything that's available to be touched, generously glowing. So those are words, of course. Words hopefully that point to an energetic, emotional, attitudinal quality that we can directly experience. And in a way then, or not in a way, that becomes the meditation object. That expansive, beautiful, generous quality that we call compassion. That is moved to care, moved to respond. Moved to wish, may you be free of suffering. May this difficulty be removed. So that's an enlivened, enlivening quality. And it, it uh, has that nature. This is how we know we're in this realm. It has this liberating quality, right? So that's not, it's just the opposite of feeling overwhelmed by the suffering in the world or overwhelmed by the suffering of a friend, overwhelmed by our own suffering. That's not compassion. That's being overwhelmed. That's a kind of aversion and fear, which of course will arise because we're not fully awakened human beings yet. We're people who are confused when suffering arises, so we tense up. And when we tense up, then we set in motion these ancient habits of feeling afflicted and overwhelmed and burdened and ultimately deadened by the suffering here and around us. And compassion, this is why compassion has such a, uh, uh, the flavor, real compassion has the flavor of liberation. In the Buddhist tradition, compassion, as well as all the other loving uh, qualities of love, they're considered temporary liberations of the heart. Right? Because when the mind takes that up as a theme, that generous wish, may you be free from suffering, even without the words, of course, right? When, when the mind is really attuned to that beautiful, expansive wish, you don't need the words, you're abiding in that goodness of that wish, then that mind is temporarily free of the, the torments and afflictive qualities that in subtle or not so subtle ways are really beating us up and causing us to be less than skillful in how we respond and take care of others. So this week, be particularly interested in that expansive and boundless quality, especially when you get a little confidence or momentum and you stop trying to do the compassion and you're more just abiding, relaxing and trusting it, then really let that be the object of awareness, that generous, expansive glow 
of love and compassion. And we'll talk more about that next week. So in a few moments now, we're going to break into small groups. I saw that Michelle has already put the link there for the Zoom. And remember, this is just uh, optional. And if you don't want to join the, the small groups tonight, then just find somebody to talk to at home in the next day or two. Talk about spontaneous moments of compassion that you're noticing and the particular texture, flavor, like how did you come to see that as a moment of compassion. And then also you could talk about how you've mapped out what your mind does when you're close to suffering. Both skillful things it does and unskillful. And to talk about that in a non-judgmental way, right? Because we're all in the same boat. We've got all kinds of not so useful habits in terms of how our heart relates to, to suffering. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.